turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And this reading can be found in your pew Bibles on page 969. Page 969. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, just a disclaimer from the very beginning. The title of this series refers in no way to what you're going to hear this morning. But it's about that. <laughs> well, as Chris has said, we're doing a three-week mini-series looking at a portion of just one chapter. Not even the whole chapter. Just a few verses over these three weeks from Matthew chapter 5, which is part of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, in Matthew, there are five major teaching episodes from Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is the first one. It's basically a condensed description of how someone who belongs to the kingdom of God should live. That's basically what it is, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And I recommend that over these three weeks, you read the whole Sermon on the Mount more than once. Okay? Each week. Twice each week. Now, I'm guessing that you'd agree that living as a Christian in our blip of an era is an increasingly tough gig here in the West. Would you agree? Remember what Andrew Thorburn went through not so long ago down in Melbourne, and I'm sure he's still going through the repercussions of that very short stint as Essendon CEO. What was it? About a day. What does our world look like at the moment? There are so many destructive habits and attitudes and new norms that we're seeing, aren't we? And alongside that, many of the freedoms that we've taken for granted, like freedom of speech and freedom of association, are slowly but clearly disintegrating before our eyes. And we have the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. I'm just going to remind you of what Jesus says to his people in the verses before what we read today because context is important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you and speak evil of you. Really? (laughs) And it's in that context that Jesus then says, You are salt. You are light. Salt stops things going bad, doesn't it? Light gets rid of the darkness. It's that simple, really. Salt stops things going bad and light gets rid of the dark. Amen. Well, some of you were so hopeful then, weren't you? (laughs) Look, during this week, as I've been thinking about salt, my mind went to all the different types of preservatives there are these days. Preservation and conservation, they're words we hear just about every day, don't we? We live in a world that is full of preservatives. And most of them are additives to our food in the form of chemicals. Some of them... Uh, maybe natural preservatives, but there's plenty of artificial ones. I did a quick bit of research to try to understand all the food additive numbers that we find on labelling. It's a bit overwhelming. Uh, But some people have to check all these numbers before they buy a product because of food allergies. Perhaps that's your experience and practice just to keep yourself safe. Well, I scrolled through a list and here's what I found. Here's my actual scrolling. Um... There are well over 300 different additives here. And the two important ones, well, well and many of them are, are um, uh, preservatives, all of, all of those additives. But what has been in history for millennia? There have been just a handful of preservatives, hasn't there? And the two important ones were sugar and salt. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Pliny, who was a Roman naturalist and philosopher who lived in the same era as Jesus, he said this, nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. Salt and light, such common things. Salt was used in the ancient world to flavour food and even in small doses as a fertiliser. But above all, it was used as a preservative. It was rubbed into meat and it would slow down decay. But it did need to be used wisely or salt could actually be detrimental. It could heal, but it can also make you sick. Small doses could fertilise, but large doses would cause a field to become infertile. In fact, if a country invaded another country, they would often put salt on the fields to make them unusable. And then the people who were unable to provide for themselves would be reliant on who? The invading nation. Salt was highly valuable. Uh, In fact, in ancient times, it was used to pay soldiers And that's where the word salary comes from. Did you know that? I learnt that this week. Sal is Latin for salt. So if someone wasn't worth his salt, he didn't get his pay. 
because he didn't do the work. They hadn't earned it. Salt is one of the most common substances on earth. It can't be destroyed by fire. It can't be destroyed by time. I must admit that I have a bit of a laugh when I read the label on the salt that I buy. I don't buy salt very often. Uh, but when you read the label, it tells me the use-by date. <laughs> Seriously. I think you can ignore that one. <laughs> the salt we buy has been around a very long time. I don't think it's going to go bad in my pantry. So why is it in this passage, as you look at it, that Jesus says that salt that has lost its saltiness needs to be thrown out? Well, it's because in many places where salt was sourced in those days, places like salt marshes, not by evaporation of salt water, there were lots of impurities mixed in with it. And the actual salt, which was more soluble than the impurities, would leach out. Uh, and it would leave a residue that was so weak it was of little worth. The residue still looked a bit like salt, but it wasn't salt. The point with that is that if Jesus' disciples are to act as a preservative in the world by living out the kingdom norms and values, we can only achieve that if we hold on to those kingdom values and not succumb to the norms and values of this world, which are like the impurities in the salt. My friends, as we think about these four verses, they are about mission. They're about mission. They're about being on task for Jesus wherever we are, whatever we do every day of the week. It isn't just talking about what we do in church or what church ministry we might have. This is talking about our everyday existence. Who do we meet? Who do we talk to? Who do we email? Who do we phone? What people do we engage with when we call up a company? What sort of conversation do we have at the school gate, at the checkout? at the gym, at the dog park, on the boat, in the library, in the pub or the restaurant, at the beach, in the coffee shop, on the bike ride, on the walk. As, Jesus, as a Jesus person, you are salt. You are light every day of the week. It's not just about coming to church, it's about what we do the other six and a half days. We come together and we are the gathered people and how good is that? It's so vital. We need it. We need it regularly. Be here every week. In the big group on a Sunday, we need it. And in smaller groups during the week, we need it. Get connected with a connect group. And from being the gathered community together, we become the scattered community in the week. And in that scattering, we are on mission. We are his salt and light. And that's one of the reasons that we end each worship service committing ourselves and commissioning ourselves for mission. 
Do you notice that each week, what you're actually doing? You're committing to be on mission. We are living sacrifices, we say, committed to love and proclaim Jesus. That's being committed to our vision. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord, we say. I've got a little video that I want you to have a look at. Uh, bear in mind that it's from the UK, but that's all right, isn't it? So, you know, that's in, in its context. Uh, so just bear that in mind as you watch this. Over a month, around 6% of the UK gather together to worship Jesus. It feels like we're too few to make a difference. But the reality is, Monday to Saturday, God has us. Scattered in the world, connecting to hundreds and thousands of people. So wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you do, you can make all the difference in the world. And on Sundays, when we gather together, we strengthen and empower one another to be sent out again for life on our front lines. That said in the UK that about 6% of people come together each week to worship. We're actually a, a little bit above that. At the moment, it's probably going to decrease. So we've got even more ability as we scatter at the moment. So be encouraged. You see, when we gather, we hear the gospel, we receive the gospel, and it has penetrating power for our transformation so that we can then be salt and light. And salt has to be salty and light has to shine. The Sermon on the Mount generally and this section specifically is a radical call to radical discipleship. Am I looking at a bunch of radicals here today? Do you want to be radical? In his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, the the great John Stott says this. This sermon is the most complete delineation anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture. Here is a Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle and network of relationships all of which are totally at variance with those of the non-Christian world. John Stott wrote that a long time ago. He's been dead since 2011. But I believe in the last few years since he died, this is even more of a counterculture. In the 21st century, with its postmodernism or probably more accurately, it's post-postmodernism, and all the consuming materialism, a life of faith doesn't come easy. 
It's hard. As followers of Jesus, we need to be constantly reminded that God loves us. He cares for us. He is with us. He provides. And so as we trust him with that confidence, we don't have to prioritize that stuff. But we can learn instead to focus on the true priorities that we need to, which is being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What a challenge that is. I feel challenged. Do you? This seems to be saying that wherever Christians are, life should be more interesting and pleasant. How are you doing with that? Would people say that about you? It's just better when you're around. But isn't that what salt and light does? As you reflect on your saltiness, as you reflect on the shining of your light, are you making life more pleasant for those that you engage with each day? Are we making the good things better and the bad things less bad? This is our task as we live out our kingdom lives. We are to bring light to the world and we're to bring the world to the light. Jesus uses the metaphor of a city on a hill. It's impossible for a city on a hill to hide, isn't it? Wasn't it put there so that you'd see it? And often in those days the buildings were made of white limestone. So what would happen when the daylight sun would shine on it? You'd see it even more. It would, the city would shine out. And of course, at night time, the lights would be seen through the windows. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he continues with the absurdist illustration of lighting a lamp and then covering it up. That's just dumb. Nothing could be more ridiculous. So if we make the light of Christ invisible in our lives then we are just as useless as salt residue or a light under a bowl. Don't light it. We ought to let our light shine. Why? So we glorify our Father in heaven. As we grow in our character, so we should grow in our influence. Our character should be shaped by the Beatitudes And then our influence is being salt and light. When we grow in these things, we will find blessing. The world will be well served. And the result of that is that the Father is glorified. These short four verses we're looking at this week put mission at the heart of the disciples' lives. These four verses should put mission at the heart of our lives. We are directed to transform the world. Go for it. I want to finish with a quote from Tom Wright. This was truly revolutionary and at the same time deeply in tune with the ancient stories and promises of the Bible. And the remarkable thing is 
that Jesus brought it all into reality in his own person. He was the salt of the earth. He was the light of the world, set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see, becoming a beacon of hope and new life for everybody, drawing people to worship his Father. Lord, help us to be salt. Help us to be light. Amen.